Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Morning, Chris. Morning, Matt. How are you? Yeah, very well. It's peeing with rain here in Bristol today, so it's a bit miserable, but um, yeah. I'm inside, it's... so not too bad. Ah, so we need a bit of a podcast to cheer us up and brighten our day. That's what we Indeed, need. Indeed, yeah. We've, got, we've done a bit of a different one, because so far we've only had comedians as guests, or comedic actors, or, um, and we've gone for, I guess, still a funny man, but it's Mark Wood, the England Cricketer World Cup winner. Uh, I think he's England's fastest bowler, or if not, second fastest. Him and Joffre Archer are incredibly close, but he bowls unbelievably quickly. Um, be quite, I think, sort of 95 miles an hour, I think, something like that. Maybe he'll say differently. Um, but yeah, he's a lovely chap. He's a big sports fan. He loves his football, um, obviously, loves his cricket, and he should be um, very entertaining. He's got some maverick celebrations and stuff as well. So he's got, he's quite, quite a quirky character on the pitch. Yeah, I've seen some of those. I'm not I'm not a massive cricket fan. I yeah. know very little about it, but I, I do quite enjoy learning about sports that I know nothing about, and uh, particularly from people who are right at the top of their game. I mean, he won his World Cup winner in 2019, which yeah. is that's one of the few cricket matches I've ever watched, actually. It was, well, I say watched. I watched the last little bit, but it was <laughs> incredibly exciting. Um, but we'll get on to that later on when he comes on. But yeah, it's yeah, he seems like a real character and, and clearly at the very top of his game. He's also the co-host with Miles Jupp, who we had on the other the other week, which made me think of him actually of uh, Middle Please Umpire. So um, mm. they're, they're a very good comedic duo together, actually. Um, You're a big fan of that pod, aren't you? Yeah, I love that pod. Yeah, I just um, mostly because it's just Mark making Miles laugh, and when Miles laughs, <laughs> it immediately makes makes me laugh. He's got quite a good giggle. So. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's a nice one when you're on the dog walk to cheer you up and just listening to them laughing. Really. So it's cr- cricket is obviously a summer sport, but does it happen all year round in other parts of the world? You know, if you're a professional yeah, cricketer. Yeah, so, so Mark might talk about that. Or well, I think Woody is, he's referred to, so we'll find out what, what, what to call him. But at the moment, England are out in West Indies and they played one game yesterday, a one-day game, which they lost, a 20-over game, I think. Um, he's not doing that. A lot of the players have been rested while they let lots of the younger players. So... Because there's summer all year round somewhere. There's cricket going on in Australia. There's cricket in the West Indies. So it's a slightly relentless schedule if you're an international player like he is. There's just so much cricket happening. And with the IPL and all these franchises of T20 cricket all over the world, you can just be playing yeah, 365 days of the year near enough. Wow. It's bonkers. But it feels like the schedule should have to give at some point because too many players are kind of breaking down or, you know, having mental breaks like Ben Ben Stokes um, mm. famously had a long break from the game when, when he was having his own mental health issues. So it's sort of mental and physical toil on, on these players. But. Yeah, and it's also, you know, you forget it's, they're, they're human beings, they've got families, mm. they've got, you know, it's 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 very easy for, for fans to go, come on, you know, we want to see you play all the time. But it's, yeah, it's... It's far better, I think, to have the chance to rest and recuperate and have a longer career mm. and have the chance to stay at a higher level for longer than to, to burn yourself out. I mean, 
it happens in all sports, really. So I think it's the pressure, obviously, from the TV, from the from the the corporate side of things. Yeah. You know, they want more, more, more. They want more content. They want more um, matches for for the fans. But yeah, there comes a point, I guess, when it's enough is enough. I read an interesting thing. This is sort of slightly off topic, but uh, South Africa, who obviously won the Rugby World Cup, and they were saying they were the only team that had their families living with them for the entire World Cup, which is quite an interesting... Wow. You'd think you'd want your players maybe to be in a bubble, but the families were around the whole time and there were kids' birthday parties and all sorts of things, which was interesting mm. thinking from South Africa, and I wonder whether that's a way to go for, for people to... You know, I mean, it's logistically maybe more challenging, but it felt like it was... One of the players was talking about how it was something that brought everyone closer together as a result. Yeah, very different to the approach that we used to do in, in, in the cycling team and a lot of the Olympic teams, but our competitive periods would last anything from three days up to a week maximum. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you think about a Rugby World Cup, I mean, what is it? It's well over a month. Oh, it was much. It was, it was, it was like two months or something. Yeah, it's, I it's think crazy. it was. It was a so long think, period, yeah. Yeah, I just, it's probably not sustainable to have that level of intensity and to be locked away from your normal life and your family. Yeah. It, it makes sense. I guess it's getting that balance right and, and they're all adults as, as well, isn't it? You know, it's, it's not like they're kids that you've got to kind of keep a, an eye on. It's giving them that chance mm-hmm. to, to make the right choice. And for them, clearly that worked. Yeah, I don't know whether that'll happen more. I just found it, I found it really interesting. Um, yeah. It's not a tactic. I know when, when they have cricket tours, the families come over at certain parts. Like if it's a Christmas down in Australia, they'll bring the families over. But I don't know that they're there the whole time. Um, but, yeah. Mm-hmm. We'll see how we go. Did you ever, did you, I guess you, you didn't have your kids till after career, did you? Of course. Yeah. 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 I, I just, I kind of take my hat off to, to couples that are able to do it and do it well. well. Um, because it's such a, yeah, sport, you have to put yourself first. You've got to be selfish. You've got to be thinking about your performance, your recovery. And it's, yeah, it's not just the, the competition. It's, it's the day to day. It's the sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, and some kids are amazing. Some, you know, babies are amazing. They sleep through and they have, a minimal impact on not, families' not, lives. But mine, mine weren't. Mine weren't. Yeah. <laughs> mine definitely weren't. God, Cal didn't sleep until he was two and a half. Mm. It's a bit broke us, but um, yeah. Arthur was the same. People used to say, when did Arthur sleep through the night? And he was three, and we were like, Oof. We'll tell you when he does. Ye- yesterday? I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, you know, you get bored of folk talking about a kid sleeping until you have kids yourself when you realise why. Yeah, why we talk well. about it so much because it sleep deprivation is one of the worst things I've ever experienced. It it, it turns you crazy, like it really does, and it's it's painful. And that that feeling of it's not so much the lack of sleep; it's the getting to sleep for 10, 20 minutes and then being woken up again. Oh. Like you're just going back into it, and you're like, oh my god, right, okay. And but then, I was I was always amazed how little sleep you could exist on you always think you'd had a bad night's sleep before but then when you had kids mm. and, they, and, they, and you just could just exist uh, yeah. and my, my wife was even more impressive at it um, yeah you know with the feeding and stuff but just it was amazing how, how little you could exist on and it just compounded yeah. it day upon day of, of no sleep anyway yeah one of the best things about being a professional athlete is the amount of sleep that you get just you don't appreciate it at the time but yeah <laughs> like you'd have you wake up in the morning oh we got eight hours last night and feeling a bit tired you know <laughs> Here we go. Yeah, so Woody, Woody is here, so I'll let him in. Hello. Morning. Hello, morning. How are oh, you doing? So, sorry I'm late. Scrabble. Oh, you're not late. The school run. You're not late. Oh, we're just talking about kids and the impact they have on us. God, lack of sleep, stress, wow. worry, all that. <laughs> it was icy, icy out there this morning. Uh, the main entrance of the school wasn't open, so... Skidded while we were on the back, but uh, it was fine after that. How old's your son? Is it a son? 
Yeah, son, Harry, he's four, and I've got a little girl who's uh, who's six months old. Oh, blimey, so you're not getting wow. any sleep at the moment then? Or? I, I'm okay, my wife less so, but I'm <laughs> all right. Uh, in case you can hear us, yeah, she gets more less sleep than I do, um, but <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's gone now, right? And do you travel with the family when you're when you're playing competing, or do you do they stay at home at this stage? What's what's the routine? Um, so sometimes they can come, um, but mainly with having Lily Lily so young, and then Sarah being pregnant, she wasn't allowed to travel to some places. So the in the recent past, uh, COVID, pregnancy, and then I being little, they haven't been able to come, and some of them have been long stretches. So um, as you know, like being away for. You know, two months at a time or two and a half months, it, it could be a long drag, but um, it's the way it is. And, and they, they're going to come on the first one. So if I'm involved in January, there's a test match series in India and we're breaking it up with a, a week in Dubai. So that should be nice. And they're ah. going to come to Dubai for a week. It's funny because the, the partners and the families never seem to go to India or Pakistan, but the Dubai <laughs> trip seems <laughs> very convenient. Yeah. Is that tough though when you're away? Like, you could, I know you've got Zooms and whatever, FaceTimes and stuff, but it is difficult, isn't it? Particularly when they're changing so quickly over two months, your six-month-old can change enormously. Yeah, and the, the change literally every time I come back, like I kind of believe how much how different they are. Like Harry, um, I mean, even when I come back, I couldn't believe, like I'm not a big guy, but even I was like shocked at how tall he was. I was like, is this really my son? He's like, he's, he's getting big. Um, but yeah, great that the change literally every time I see them. Yes, mad. You can wait for the weekend, and I swear they've changed. They I know back, exactly. Right? I mean, he's he's coming up with words that like he's he's born like humongous. And I'm like, where have you getting that from? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and even just the attitudes that you, they kind of go to school, and all of a sudden they change. Yeah, day to day, you come back and they've got a new opinion on something and a new exactly a new attitude about something. Exactly, and attitude's the right word. He's definitely got a little bit of that. <laughs> so, what are you up to? So, what are you up to just now? Ah, bang. Um. At the minute, I am training. So um, after the World Cup, which is obviously a bit of a disappointment, um, I'm building up to January. So I've got a nice little block off. So just literally started back in the gym, some rehabby work. Um, and then I'm going to start bowling, um, I think, next week. So it'll just be it's just a case of you know taking, taking along nicely at the minute, building up, building up. And then when I get to Abu Dhabi on the 10th of January, um, hitting the ground running for the, I think the first test is the twenty fourth of of January. So I'll just be constantly building until then, trying to build myself back up. I think the World Cup, you know, mentally and physically took a lot, lot out of us. So, um, you know, I, I ate probably dal and paneer nearly every day. So I've been <laughs> tucking into the the home comfort shepherd's pie the whole lot. So um, trying to build back up really. Now you're you're known as one of the fastest bowlers in the world. How does that come about? Silly question, but you know how much of that is just your natural ability to bowl quickly, and how much of it is the physical training? I mean, how what what does training look like for you as a fast bowler? I think I think it's a mixture. Um, I think the way that my sort of mechanics work when I bowl that that allows me to bowl quickly. Um, I brace my front leg, and um, you know all the power comes up through my body. And the way I describe it to people who don't know cricketers, if you can imagine like the links of a chain, when all those links are together, you then drop the anchor into the sea and then boosh, you, you get that release of that catapult. Um, so I think there's some of its mechanics, but you know, I do try and, you know, stay fit. There's a, a lot of work on, especially around um, 
you know, for me, power work and strength training. Um, and then combining that with the fact that you can play games over five days, you have to have a certain amount of conditioning in you as well. Um, a bit frustrating that you can get the five days and it'd still be a draw uh, when you put in all that hard work in cricket. But um, I feel like in general, what we're trying to be sort of well-rounded. For me personally, I can't be um, too bulky, like I mentioned before. And I'm, I'm quite a slight guy. Um, but if I if I put on too much weight, I think that would put more force through my body. And I've had injury problems with um, three or four ankle operations, a knee operation, elbow operations. So if I, if I put on too much mass, I think that actually hinders me a little bit. So it's about get striking that balance right between having the right condition and feeling strong and um, and powerful, but not being bulky and not ready for action, really. And is it is it coached? Is it something that you've just instinctively had as a kid, or? You know, is it something that can be taught to, to bowl at that kind of speed? I think it can be taught a, a little bit. I think you've got to have certain, you know, um, things within your action or, or um, I guess, uh, fast twitch fibers or something like that. You've got to have something. But I think it, I think you can be taught to bowl quicker, whether whether you can bowl you know, 90 odd mile an hour, but you can definitely be taught to bowl fast. Out in the, in the when I was a kid, I played uh, football in the winter and cricket in the summer, and I actually think. You know, I tried tennis, badminton. I, I tried every sport that I could. I actually think that sort of athleticism and, and trying different things actually helped me to be able to bowl fast because then I was used to move my body in certain ways. And I, a lot of the time when I was in the back garden with my dad, um, right until about 13, 14, I started like getting a little bit too quick for him and uh, hitting him in the head and stuff in the garden. He wasn't too pleased <laughs> with that. But um, up, up until that point, I used to try different actions. So I used to watch the telly. I used to think, right, I'm going to try and bowl like him. And I used to try different things. And I think that sort of practice element where not frightened to fail or do something different or have a, just having a go, I think that then helped me in the long run to, to be able to bowl fast because then I, I learned what my body could do and what position it could get in to do that. So I think it's just a, a mixture. Really. I think the, the, tr- the coaching side of things, when I was younger, they tried to put me in, in like certain positions and stuff like that. And I've always gone then reverted back to my old action, which is one that I've had naturally since I was a kid. So... I think there's a, a fine balance between, you know, coaching it to to the point where it's mechanical and rigid, and because then people start thinking about that rather than feeling free and loose and and then letting it fly. How do you then? I was watching you with my son the other day. We were both thinking when you're bowling at that speed in a spell, how do you manage to maintain such amazing accuracy? That's the bit. I mean, you might be hurling your body onto the deck and whatever else, but yet the the, the accuracy is unnerving. I guess it's hours and hours of practice, but. Yeah, just just practice. I think, um, like I mentioned, uh, football in the winter, cricket in the summer. And when I when I played cricket, I was a I was more of a batsman, and I bowled these little swingies. So early on in my my development as a as a cricket player, I had to be accurate because I didn't really have the pace. And then when I had a growth spurt, that sort of naturally just put on pace out of nowhere, um, and that sort of practice with with a new body kind of thing, it just seemed to happen naturally and. Um, I already then had banked a certain amount of accuracy and, and tried to swing it. Um, and then it's just years and years of trying to prove that. I, I, don't get us wrong, I still bowl plenty of bad balls. If you watch other <laughs> bowlers, they're a lot more accurate than me. But um, I think it's your margin as well of being a fast bowler is slightly bigger because you you get, you know, people maybe sitting back or they're not quite in the shot as much. Um, but like I say, my skill element maybe isn't as high as, say, an Anderson or Wokes, um, who who I play with, and, and they're brilliant. Now, excuse me, because I, I really know very little about cricket. I'll admit that right now. 
as a Scot, we didn't get much cricket at school uh, when I was hey, Scotland up. beat England the last time we played in Scotland. Did won, they? So, yeah, yeah. I, I was the last week of the fall. And, uh, I well, maybe I'll uh, start following cricket then. Maybe that's... Uh, <laughs> I was wondering if you were on the guys on the pitch who was in my face. <laughs> <laughs> but this, this may sound like a stupid question, but I wonder, as a, as a fast bowler, when you're batting, do you prefer to face a fast bowler who, you know, because you know that, that is it, because do you know what? The only time I've ever stood with a bat in my hand with someone bowling at me was for it was for a mystery guest on Question of Sport, and we were in these nets, and it was just you know they were literally just gently lobbing the balls down, and I said, "Go on, just just bowl one to see what you know. I just want to see what it feels like to feel the ball, you know, not at me, but just past me." Gee whiz, it was absolutely terrifying. Like, I'm not just saying that it was absolutely, and the guy was probably doing that, I don't know half pace, Did but the thought it? of that rock hard ball. Coming past you, like, I mean, it, it's it's bloody terrifying. Did, did you manage to hit it? Do you know what? I don't think I, I don't think I even swung it. I think it just came <laughs> past so fast. I was like, like you know, no, it's literally no. I def, definitely didn't hit it. I don't think I even swung. I just like stood there, terrified, and thought, "Geez, that's that's pretty scary." But I mean, it, for you as a fast bowler, do you prefer to, to face somebody who bowls in a similar style to you, or because you understand it more, or is it not? <laughs> Absolutely like that? not. Absolutely not. That there was this unspoken sort of code that was. It's called the bowlers' union, where probably when I first started playing cricket, you looked after each other. So as another fast bowler came in, you'd pitch it up, you'd look after them. So it was nice. It wasn't going to hit that body. Nowadays, oh my god, like everything's at your neck, at your head, at your chest. Um, it's sort of like, oh well, we'll get it in, get the blow in before before you kind of thing. And that's probably the 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 biggest dread is when you're watching. I mean, it's not. It's it, don't get us wrong. It's not nice when you're out there. No one likes facing fast bowling, but the worst bit is waiting to go in. So you've got all your pads on, and you can see the ball flying through, and people jump. Especially if it's a, a batsman who you know is recognised as someone that's really good. If they're jumping around, you're thinking, "Oh my goodness, like what's going to happen to me?" Yeah, like, I'm looking up the stands. My family's in the stand. I'm thinking this could be the last time I see them. You know, there's, there's loads of things going on. But I think for for me. There is that fear element, and that's something that hopefully I can bring when I bowl. But certainly facing it, I've definitely got that as well. <laughs> so uh, it's get as many runs as, as quickly as I can before before I get either hit or out. You were briefly in the top ten batting averages at the World Cup for a few games. I remember looking. Uh, I didn't take any notice of that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember what your average was, but it was an incredibly impressive average. Yeah, um, it's it's something that everyone has to work on because everyone has to bat, so everybody has to have a go. Um, we work at it in the nets whether you like it or not you know when it's going great as a bowler it's the best thing in the world but you can look a bit silly at times and feel a bit embarrassed when uh, when things go wrong what's been the most embarrassing um sort of wicket you've you know you giving up your wicket has there been a calamitous one that springs to mind or yeah absolutely um dubai we played pakistan in, in dubai in a test match and i got caught at slip off the spinner so it's a clear deviation um, to slip and I thought I'd hit the ground with me bat so I went I mean I'm, the, the umpires have gathered together and they've sent it upstairs for a, a review like uh, Hawkeye in, in, in tennis and, uh, and they've, they've clearly given me out now at this point I'm still convinced that I've hit the floor so I've said to Stuart Broad that brought the other guy bat and I need to review this I've hit the floor so I reviewed it and then after Brody went we've reviewed a review They've already given it out on review. And then I thought, oh, no. So the umpire looked at me and went, we're reviewing this. And it was too late by that point. I'd already reviewed it. And um, 
the umpire then just looked at me and then literally put his hand in his ear and two seconds there, I must have been the quick review of all time, went, uh, yeah, that's off. So I reviewed, <laughs> I reviewed a review. So it doesn't get any dumber than that. I don't know what, what is. Do you get ribbed by teammates after something like that then? Or? Yeah, because you only get two reviews a team. Yeah. And I'd wasted one of them reviewing a review. So, um, yeah, the batters were not happy with that. <laughs> a proud moment. Yeah. We were talking about before you came on about on proud moments, but I guess the, the 2019 World Cup is the, is that the, the number one or? It's got to be, I think, just yeah. for the, the scale of it, really. Um, I think the Ashes is always huge. Um, and I've been lucky enough to be a part of a winning Ashes team. Um, and, you know, some, I've played another Ashes series that we haven't won, but that, that's always special playing Australia, obviously our biggest rivals. Um, but I think, you know, the World Cup, just the, the lead up for where we were in 2015 and how they, we sort of structured the team over a long time, building, building. We beat everybody in the whole world and then have it at home and be the first guys to do it and achieve it um, for England was was pretty special. So I don't think it, it tops out really. I remember I'm, what, oh, sorry, Matt, I was going to say, I remember it was the, the same day as the Wimbledon final, men's singles final. That's right. I think it was it was Djokovic against Federer, wasn't it? And it was like a five set. It was the longest, I think it was the longest final in history, men's final. Mm. Um, an absolute epic, you know, one of these ones that the, the two, arguably the two greatest players of all time in this, locked in this, this kind of head-to-head. And it went down to the final set and it was, you know, a tie break. And I'm a, I'm a bit, quite a big tennis fan, so I was, you know, I was obviously enthralled by this this incredible spectacle. But I just started. I was kind of on Twitter as well, and I could see that you guys were, you know, this is getting pretty exciting. And I flicked across. Just, oh, I just have a quick look, and it was like, oh my god, this is. And in the end, I watched the cricket, which you know, as, mm. as I say, I'm not, a, you know, it's not a sport that I've ever played or been, uh, you know, a fan of in, in the past. But my god, that was. That was unbelievable. It was it was one of the best moments of sport I've ever seen, and you know I'm standing there cheering and shouting and jumping up and down for a sport I know nothing about. It was so exciting. Brilliant. Uh, yeah, it's great. Yeah, I've heard more more stories like that, which is you know it's lovely to hear. Um, and I I don't hold it against Federer Djokovic for trying to steal what thunder, but that's fine. <laughs> um, but I think the the World Cup final personally to play in, I, I really didn't like it. Um, uh, now I can look back and think it was amazing, but during the during the event, horrible. Um, the game sort of went up and down for us, up and down, up and down. We're winning, we're losing, we're winning, we're losing. We're definitely lost, we're definitely winning. It just sort of just went like that the whole the whole day. And you know, my nerves by the end. Uh, I don't know if you've if you've seen anything else, but I wasn't actually on the field for the winning moment. In the game, I torn my side right at the end of my my ball in the main game. So when we went on to do the Super Rover, I had to wait off the field and I was stood along the bench. Um, with what other sort of men that are, are not playing and were support staff. And um, it's absolutely worse when you can't do anything about it. When you've got no control, it is it is the worst feeling because you're just, you're helpless really. Um, and I think if I'd been on the field, I mean, people ask us, well, what would it be like if you'd been on the field? And I think, yes, I'd have been extremely nervous because I, I would have thought, right, don't mess up. If the ball comes to you, make sure you field it or catch it or whatever happens. But also, I would have been laser focused and right. This is what I'm doing. Whereas when you're off the field, like what literally, what Ugh. can you do but just pray that it goes your way? And luckily, I had Muin Ali, who is fantastic, um, sort of uh, comedy wise, and his, his timing's impeccable as always. And the last uh, ball goes to to Jason Roy, and before before the ball happens, we're all sort of chatting, and 
Um, we're all really nervous. And Jason Roy had misfielded two before that. And luckily, on the one just before the ball goes to him, we said, oh, he's going to bowl a Yorker. He's going to bowl a bouncer. And Moore had said, well, as long as it doesn't go to J-Roy, I think we'll be all right. And the ball went <laughs> direct to Jason Roy. He fielded it cleanly, run out. Um, and yeah, the rest is history. So the the end, I would, if I could bottle that feeling at the end, that would be that would be the one I would want. Um, so proud and, and happy and just elated. But the game itself, I hated it. <laughs> Following on from what Chris said, because my, for my job, I was covering for my paper, I was covering the, the, the Wimbledon final. So we're in our seats on centre court. But if you look, if you just leant back, everyone had their laptops open and all it had on their screens was the cricket. So we're yeah. all sitting, meant to be writing about the tennis. And then as soon, I think the tennis finished just before you guys. So we all ran down into the media bit to watch the end of the, I mean, obviously not very professional because I meant to be covering the tennis, but everyone was more excited, <laughs> excited in seeing the cricket. And you could see people who paid for tickets were sort of looking at the journalist laptops to try and um, catch what was happening in the Super Over as well. The amount of people that, you know, after had, had come up to me and said, my gran had watched it or all the local cricket club was there. Like, I know cricket is like a, a, a popular sport, but it just seemed like it just went to a new level on the, on the World Cup final. Like we, we were watching videos the next day, like all the lads together of like people celebrating. Um, you know, obviously Trafalgar Square things like that. It was just it was brilliant. If you'd watched the you know, Hollywood film with that script, you'd have gone, "Yeah, that's a bit far fetched." You would never get, you know, it's <laughs> yeah. never going to come down. You know, it's like kind of like you know, Rocky. It's like a karate kid. It's like one of these. You know, the, it all comes down to this one moment. It's like it so yeah. rarely happened. But it did, and it was. It was. Yeah, I guess for the Kiwi fans, it wouldn't have been the greatest thing to watch. But for, for everyone else, it was amazing. And and the sad thing is, is that New Zealand is like they're, they're the best team to play against. They play hard, um, but that the the gracious losers, and um, you know the players, they gave them the right way. So actually, in a way, we copied uh, New Zealand sort of template from from 2015 when we had really struggled. Um, Owen Morgan, our captain, was was great friends with Baz McCullum, who was now coincidentally our test coach. But he was captain of New Zealand at the time. We sort of copied their template a little bit. Um, so it was a bit poetic that the final should be us against them. Um, after this four-year cycle of, of from one World Cup to the next. Um, and I know a lot of the lads um, who from New Zealand team had played in England, so we knew a lot of them personally. And uh, yeah, you, you do feel for them, but to be to be brutally honest with you, in that moment, I, I didn't think about them once. I know that sounds horrible to say, but you're so wrapped up in the emotion of your own team winning and um, and your, the, the highs of your your friends doing really well. Like you sort of forget about that side, and it isn't until after that you, you do feel for them after a great game and one where it's like you've you've both thrown massive punches at each other and the game's gone back and forward. But I've got to admit, in that moment. I didn't think about New Zealand once. I know that sounds horrible, but actually I was just so happy with my own team. And, and it wasn't until even when we were shaking hands, we were sort of like picking each other up and those people crying, Liam Plunkett's the biggest guy ever. He was crying and our support staff come on the field, you're all hugging them. And then you've got to go from that, like, oh my God, like how great is this to, well played, well played. I mean, what can you say? <laughs> what, what, what do you do? What do you do? Like, it's just a, Hard lines, unlucky hard lines. Like, what what can you say? So it's quite a difficult and strange situation. But if you if they are a team that you you enjoy playing and they're a decent group of, of individuals, who, which team do you enjoy playing and beating the most? Like, which team? Oh, do you this kind is of... the easiest. This is the easiest question ever. 
Australia. Every time. <laughs> That's if, what I was hoping if, to hear. Yeah, if, if we can beat our rivals, then there's, there's nothing like that. Um, yeah, the, the, you know, they like to give it. We like to give it back. Um, they've had plenty of given over the years. So um, when we get a few back, especially around that one day time where we played Australia quite a bit and we, we got quite a few victories, that was that was really sweet. And you know, the pendulum keeps swinging one way or another. And, now, there's no denying it, they're a great side. Um, always have been cricket wise that the turn up when it matters. Um, so when you when you beat them, it's it's really something to savor. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. What about this World Cup that happened? Because you, you guys got, got into your stride a bit late, and that, but you were finding your form pretty well towards the end. What, what is it easy to explain what didn't quite go right, or no? And it actually took us. I remember texting a few of the lads probably a week after, and I was hurting more when I got home than than when I was there. I was still hurt there, but you sort of go to the next game, you play. Um, that next one, then you. No matter what happens, it's like right. You may be disappointed or you're pleased, but the focus is then on the next one. It's gone. Next game, what we're going to do? But then when you get home, it sort of sinks in. Like, oh, wish I'd done that different. Oh, that went so badly. Oh, what what did we do wrong? It was so hard to pinpoint actually things that that have gone wrong. Um, I know that's you know maybe a TV answer or a, a cliche answer, but honestly. The togetherness was in the group. There was no in in fighting or nothing where people were against each other, each other's backs. Um, we just didn't. We just didn't play well. It, it's it was it was bizarre. I thought. I think the prep. Um, you know, maybe the preparation could have been better. But again, I think if we're looking for excuses, then you know, it's what it's it's not going to do anybody any good. We we have to take a look at ourselves. Say, look, it wasn't good enough. As a cricketer or an England cricketer, you get looked after incredibly well. Like we, we get great hotels, we've got millions of support staff. Apart from sort of the execution on the field, when you let ball that, let go of that ball, you don't know what's going to happen, um, and it's out of your control. But apart from that, we've got everything we need, and we just—it it seemed like halfway through, we sort of caught up a little bit. Um, conditions differed from place to place. Um, trying to think of anything else that I can think of, but. All in all, I think when your confidence gets hit hard early on, we just didn't recover. And that, mm. that's all I can think of. It, I, I can't think of something where I can say to you, you know, we were poor for this reason or that reason. We just weren't we weren't at it like we, we usually are. And um, you know, a couple of the tosses, maybe we could have done things different. But that, again, that's easy in hindsight. And that's looking for an excuse to say why we, were, we weren't as good. Um, I know I can only speak for myself personally. I think sometimes it was a case of maybe trying too hard. Um, 
you know, I was desperate to turn it around. I was desperate to, you know, get work on the board and be the man. And actually, it made me worse. Um, I remember I was a ball um, against Australia. I was balling really well to Cameron Green, a, a tall right-handed batsman that knocked him back. His bat had gone flying out of his hand. The ball had just landed past my fielder. So I'm on top of him and I'm thinking, right, come on, this is the ball. Um, three or four balls, I've knocked him back. Uh, he's on the ropes. I've got him here. And then the last ball of the over, I think, right, I've just got to bowl this full and straight. He's sitting back. I, maybe I've got a chance at LBW. I've bowled. And I bowled it short and wide and he hit it for four. And I kicked the floor as hard as I could because it was nowhere near where I wanted to bowl it. And it's just so frustrating that you you almost try too hard where you're like, right, this is the one. So it's like that kind of thing where you say, don't bowl too straight, don't bowl too straight, don't bowl too straight. Where do you bowl? Straight. You get whacked for six. <laughs> and then you're like, you just like your mind in your mind. And it, when you're bowling particularly well, you don't think about any of them things. You just run in and bowl and, and that's it. You, you, the fielders are irrelevant. The crowds are irrelevant. Literally, all you see is the stumps and the batsmen and where you're trying to bowl it. But when when things are going wrong, it's like everything. Like you're trying so hard to be so pinpoint and accurate. And I mean, there's probably some you know psychological learning in that somewhere. But um, yeah, really frustrating World Cup for us. That's what I love about sport, though. It doesn't matter what it is you're doing. It's the psychological side of it that, that I find fascinating. You know, it's it's how we deal with pressure, it's how we react. How do you create good morale? You know, it's, it's a catch-22 situation because you can't just magic it out of nowhere. You've got to prove it to yourself. But the confidence comes from, from, from that. And it's, you know, but where do you start? And particularly with a team sport where it's not just one individual that you've got to, you know, it's not just me and my bike, you know, thinking, right, I need to sort this out, go away, work out what the problem is, start again, rebuild. You've got a whole squad of people that, that have got to do that and they've got to gel together. They've got to have the same the same belief and, and buy into the same philosophy of whatever the coach or the, the team are choosing to do. But that's why I love sport because it's so unpredictable. You know, it's that, and it's knowing that whether it is cricket or cycling or football or curling or whatever the sport is, the same pressure, the same human frailties that you go through, the doubt in yourself. And, and we assume that all professional sports people are just cast iron, rock solid, completely confident and they're they're like robots they can just do this day in day out but actually we're not you know it's it's a that's that to me is what makes it so fascinating i couldn't agree more what you said um i think 100 percent that sort of um self-doubt is a, is a group but i mean when you're together for two so we were there what eight seven and a half weeks so you're flying all around india uh, i think we covered nearly six 6,000 or something miles so, or, or a huge number 60,000 something like that so we, we were the second most travelled team so you have to try and stick together in, in some shape or form I mean we do quiz nights um, we do things where lads will you know play golf together paddle tennis and lads will uh, people back home generally think well, well it's like a holiday and you, you know you're getting to do these other things but mentally for the lads it's a switch off when we're training we train hard at the games we, train, we play hard but um, away from it, let's try and switch our minds off. Let's do other things because in India, in, in general, it's very hard to just get out and, and, and walk around. You're, you're very much stuck in a hotel room unless you can go go and do something. So um, the the pressures, you know, it was on you trying to block out that outside noise, as we call it, with the media. And the, the problem is, it's so hard to get away from because you know that you're not playing well. So it, at times, you almost understand it. It's annoying, but you understand it that. You know, they've got to talk about you this way and they've got to say that it's not going well because it's not. And, 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 you know, we're trying to buy into what the captain says and, you know, taking the attacking option, positive option, 
um, things like that. But when it's going against you, like you say, that self-doubt of, look, am I really doing what the captain wants and the coach? And am I really backing up what, I, what I'm saying here? Um, that's what creeps in. And, and I think that's part of why confidence then shoots downhill. I was going to say, what can you explain what it's like, um, what the sport is like in India? Because I, I had no idea. And I was traveling recently, I was or about a year ago actually with Steve Waugh. And he was telling me what it's like to go anywhere in the world. If there's an Indian person, um, you know, particularly if he's in India, you know, he is like ultimately recognizable. The, the sport is so big in India. Like I, I, I had no idea just how popular cricket, how, how big cricket is and how it's like a religion over there and how obsessed the whole country is with the sport. What, what is it like? And, and what is it like for you being in India, not being able to travel anywhere um, because you're so recognizable? It, it is fanatical. Um, so just as soon as you leave the hotel, I think I, I don't know what it would have been like years ago, but now it's like there's a there's a camera in your face everywhere, like a, a iPhone, like a selfie. Everyone wants a selfie, 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 selfie. Um, and, and I mean, I remember we we went to the the shopping center, the the mall, the shopping mall. I think that's yeah, mall. It's very American mall. Uh, we went to the mall <laughs> and um, we had to be locked in to to uh, one of the shops. We were stuck in the the Crocs, the Crocs shop. We were locked in the Crocs shop just to keep us out oh, of the dear. way because we were walking <laughs> along the, walking in the mall and uh, looking for some food, just having a look around. And then all, all of a sudden when one, you know, fan recognizes you, then there's another one, another, another and then it just piles up where they're, they're literally following you around and they're in your space and trying to get photos and pulling at your arm and stuff. And, um, although it's sort of like great that you get that sort of recognition, it's also like bits where you want to just relax or, um, it, it can be, quite tough um so to be locked in and everyone sort of standing outside was a bit like this is this is a bit weird i'm not used to this in uh, in newcastle so um yeah it, that, that's a bit bizarre i think it, it's almost just like every tv channel has got cricket on um without a shadow of a doubt the loudest you know i've ever heard a sporting event has been um in a, a cricket ground in india just because the i mean i played in front of there was ninety thousand at the mcg for an ashes game that that was loud but in India, the, like even the only thing I'd say is like if you if you get one run, one run's like it's one run, but they will still scream for that one run. So you imagine what it's like for a four or a six or a wicket where it's like a major event, but if it's just a one, it's like ah, and you're like what? Like you get, you're like looking behind you to see what's going on. Um, like something something happened, but it's just yeah, it's just crazy the level of sort of scrutiny and. Um, I actually feel for their international players. I mean, I know it comes with, you know, other things and like, you know, the, the amount of money they'll earn and, and the amount of status they'll get over there. But actually, it must be hard for them to have just a a normal life. Like the, the, the sort of like, if you'd imagine what it's probably like for footballers in this country, it's probably like that with a, a little bit extra. It's just so huge there. Yeah, we were, it was, it was with Steve Wall. We were in Abu Dhabi and we were just jumped into the back of a cab and the guy's like, you know, where are you going to? And we're just driving off. And he was, he sort of set it off and he just looked in, like he obviously must have recognised Steve's voice. And then he looked in the mirror and I swear he just about crashed the cab because he was so excited. And <laughs> and I was just, and Steve was like, yeah, 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 this is this is kind of pretty normal, really. And I was like, really? He goes, yeah, everywhere we go, everywhere we go, you know, as a family, it's like his kids are like desperately trying to steer him away from anywhere there might be any Indian fans or, Mm. Any cricket fans, he said, it's it's just, it is. 
as you say, it's fanatical. It's, it's it's on another level entirely. I thought it was big in Australia. We used to train in Perth every winter. We go out to Australia, and quite often it would coincide with the Ashes. And particularly if the Ashes were happening in Australia, it'd be massive. But even if it, if it was in the UK, um, it's on the front pages of, of all the papers every day. On the front of the West Australian, you'd get the, the cricket news. It was so much bigger out there. Than, it gets way more attention, I feel, than it does in the UK. Um, yeah. and, and everybody's talking to you about it, asking about the cricket, and you're like, you know, particularly if England aren't winning, the Aussies are very keen to ask you how the cricket's going. Funnily enough, when the England are winning, it's the opposite. <laughs> they don't seem to mention it quite as much. Um, but what, yeah, I do mention, actually, I'm Scottish. So, you know, if I'm not accepting any blame or responsibility if England aren't winning. But if they are, I'll jump in the back of that and say, yeah, get on yeah, yeah we're doing well. Um, but no, it's, it's, a, it's, it's so interesting because it's such a massive sport in certain pockets of the world. Yeah, um, I'm trying to think where I would, I, I, certainly India is obviously the most... Um, that the other region of Pakistan, Sri Lanka, that sort of subcontinent region, that is obviously their main sport. It's huge. Australia, I find it's obviously big, their main sport in their, in their summer. I feel like, you know, when, when we get to travel to some amazing places, like the West Indies is a trip that you know, everybody wants to make. Um, South Africa is a great place to tour New Zealand. So we, we get to, to go all these sort of fantastic places. Um, and I think opposition teams love coming to England and playing in, in our conditions as well. And I think that's the part of the challenge of cricket that every condition where you go is, is different um, Pakistan although close to India the conditions are very different Sri Lanka different again again close but um, I mean Sri Lanka is the the hottest place I've ever played you just your sweat has sweat you're just constantly like just drenched <laughs> so that that would be one of the toughest sort of physically whereas somewhere like a, a South Africa for a fast bowler, it's great, lovely temperature. The ball flies through, so, so that's a great. I mean, you're eating steak for your for your tea every night. I mean, it's pretty good there. Um, and then West Indies, of course, you finished a long hard day in the field. Oh, I'll just nip down the beach and have a soak in the, in the water. That'll that that's me recovery. So we get to you know play in some fantastic places, but that that's the challenge as a cricketer: is can you do it um, in all these different conditions when it when it matters and. Unfortunately, the recent one we haven't, but in, in the past, we, we've managed to pull out some pretty good results. Um, I've sent Chris an email of some of the other bits from you, but like not just cricketing bits, but your, your dancing, I think, was that during lockdown, your dance exercise video and also was, um, yeah. celebrating riding a horse thing. Just for These are our sporting misadventures, uh, as, as it were, but uh, it's important to have some levity as well while, while you take your cricket very seriously. Yeah, I, I mean, I've, I've had to get rid of the horse, unfortunately, the imaginary horse. I mean, it's more of a pit pony where I was, where I was from in, in Ashton. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, every, literally every ground I went to for, for two or three years, it was, Woody, where's your horse? And on, honestly, by the end, I was like, I've got to, I've got to let the horse down. And I remember on the field, it, uh, it had, and Headley, unfortunately, I cocked it back and the crowd weren't happy. But I was like, look, it's got to go. I've, I've got to set it free. It's got to go. So the, the horse, <laughs> horse is gone. And uh, horses bolt the chelsea, and then um, yeah, with with the dancing and lockdown, me, me, and Joe Denley, um, he he sent me a video and said, "I bet you can't do this." And I says, "Well, I'm going to embarrass you a bit here, Joe, because once I do the video, I'm going to challenge you to, to do it." So um, I copied this guy that he sent the video, did the video, and then challenged Joe Denley, who was in the England team at the time. And funny enough, he went very quiet on social media after that, and I didn't see him for a little bit. So um, yeah, I think look, for cricket, for me, like. I always play better when I'm having fun. I think most of the captains and coaches try to get that out of me. 
um, if I'm having a laugh or if, I, if I'm a bit serious, then I tend not to play as well. So having that fun element on the field, certainly. I mean, if, I still feel like I go back to my local club, Ashton, all the time um, and, and watch regularly on a Saturday and, and see people there. And I love playing for Ashton. I've managed to get a couple of games in um, just at, at club cricket. So um, I, I still have that sort of feeling of, I guess, the fun and, and it all feels the same of when you were growing up. And I think that's uh, that's really important for me. Talking about fun, when you're on the pitch and there's a bit of well, the sledging, there's a banter between the teams, is is that taken in sort of good humour or is it is it genuinely done to try and distract and with a kind of not malicious intent, but is it does it cause you know aggravation between the teams, between individuals, or is it just a bit of a bit of fun that is part of the sport? Great question. Um I think it depends who it's aimed at. As an individual, if someone, someone like, I mean, very rarely do people shout and scream at fast bowlers because then they think, oh, they could get hurt and the fast bowler could hit them back. But like, <laughs> if someone says to me, so sometimes I feel like it's funny. Like, I just, it's like a bit like we, we get to know each other so much nowadays through franchise cricket and lads that play together and you get to know, oh, what's he like? What's he like? Or um, you get to know each other from, from other nations and things like that. And I think sometimes it's just a bit like, yeah, a bit of fun, but then sometimes if people don't back down, it can get a bit nasty. And, and there's been, you know, kids of that. But with stump mics, uh, they put little microphones near the near the stumps. They pick up a lot of it now, so you have to be very careful what you say um, and things like that. So often things are, are maybe said under breath or as people are running past and things like that. But it's not it's not done it done as much. Um, I'm trying to think of of times when it's happened to me. There was a guy in the West Indies, a guy called Bonner. And he was trying to tell Joseph that he kept saying, uh, come on, like, knock his head off, hit him in the head, get him here, get him there. And I'd had enough of it by one point. Like, it was funny at the start, but the fact that he was doing it every ball was starting to get on my wick a little bit. So I turned around and I said, right, for, from now on, every one bouncer he bowls me, I'm going to bowl you too. So he bowled me a bouncer and I went, that's two for you. Next time, <laughs> that's four for you. And funny enough, he started to speak less and less. <laughs> so I was totaling them up when I said, Right, that's another one for you. And I just kept uh, making sure that he knew that, um, look, if he, get, if he carries on like this, I'm, gonna, I'm, get, I'm after him. Um, and then the other time, which is probably the best sport and misadventure I've got for you, was I actually got sledged um, by a guy called James Pattinson. So he was an Australian big, massive, uh, aggressive fastballer. Like, just his frame was aggressive enough, but he was always in your face and snarling. And we played Durham versus um, Nottinghamshire, so it's a it's a local game. He's the overseas professional, um, and you can only bowl two bouncers, which is the ball at the head. And you can only bowl two sort of head high, and already bowled two, and it was about four balls gone in the over. So I think he's pretty much thinking now, well, I've got I've got to pitch the ball up. So he before I pulled the ball, he's put his front foot forward, getting ready to smack it. But I thought uh, he's going to expect that, so I'm going to bowl it quite short again. It was about sort of chest high, so it was just below the sort of height. And he top-edged it into the into his neck, gone down on the floor. And usually, I mean, I, I'm not I'm not a bad lad. Normally, I would say, oh, how are you doing, mate? But I thought, you know what it is? It's England. Well, an English county here, and he's an Australian. And you know the amount of times that we get it off them, I'm not going to say anything. So I didn't say anything. Last ball of the over, I bowled it, and he sort of tickled it to, to fine leg. And he went, um, what, now I'm Bowers Union anymore? Which of course the boys, you need the unspoken bond of not hurting fellow fast bowlers. And I went, nah, definitely not for an Aussie mate. And he went, ha, good job I can bowl them too. 
And honestly, in that moment, I got that horrible <laughs> ship out of my back and I looked at the screen and I thought, we've got a bat last. So my team's batting next and I'm not going to get a chance to bowl at this guy again. And honestly, he got five wickets the next innings, snot coming out of his nose, steam coming out of his ears. <laughs> Every one of our batters that got out was hammering me. Saying, what you, I can't believe you've done this. You've wound him up. He's doing this, he's doing that. Coincidentally, then I come in the bat and I'm obviously facing James Pattinson, who's come on the ball straight away. First ball, he's, he's bowled a bouncer at me and he's literally about here. He's so close to my face. He's like, literally, now he touched my nose. I'm trying to play cool inside, like, oh, I'm not bothered by this. Honestly, my heart rate must have been 220 at least. <laughs> and then, like, it just keeps going on and on. He's bouncing me. I'm ducking. I'm diving. I'm, you know, some hit me in the gloves. I'm getting one in the chest. And then he pitches one up. And I've just managed to edge it onto my pad. And they've gone up with a massive, and I mean massive, appeal. Like, they think I'm stone dead. And it's the only time in my career where I've thought, umpire, give me out here. I'm desperate to give it <laughs> just, just give me, let me get off this field. And uh, luckily, Alex Wolf, who was the umpire, gave me out. And in that moment, I kind of tell you the relief that came over my body. <laughs> As I'm walking off the field, I, I should be sort of like, you know, kicking the grass head down, trying to act like I'm really disappointed. But inside, I was like, woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> I never will I sledge an Australian basketballer again after that. The Australians are the worst for the sledging, are they? Or is that a sort of stereotype? No, no, they, yeah, they are. Yeah. Uh, without, without doubt. I mean, uh, Mitchell Johnson once told me I was dead. Um, or I was mm -mm, dead um, after I hit him for four. <laughs> Joe, Joe Root, obviously, our, our premium batsman. I was batting with him at the time. And he sort of came up and went, what's wrong with you? That was the best shot ever. And he just, I said, everybody told us I'm dead. He went, oh, good luck, mate. And then just turned his back on his. Teammates, so, eh? Yeah. yeah. It's funny, the Aussies were always, the, there's not much in, in my sport in terms of sledging or anything like that, but you would get people trying to stare you out, you'd get the, the kind of mind games beforehand, but whenever anybody took the time and effort to try and stare at you or bump into you or kind of, as you're walking on the track or even on the track, when they're, you know, you, you, kind of get, you can get quite physical on the track, I always thought it was a good sign because it was a sign that they were more worried about me than their own game. They, they weren't really thinking about what they were trying to do. They were so focused on trying to put you off that, clearly they were worried about you but I guess in cricket it's when you can physically impact people in that way you know when you can have that intimidation which can change the way that, that your opponent plays then it must be part a big part of the sport yeah and uh, from our side you know um, the, the the most recent examples I can give you is obviously the way we play in test cricket we've tried to take a, a much more positive approach um, you know we're playing freely and trying to you know put pressure on the opposition um, and when we played in Pakistan, they, they sort of had a very different approach. They sort of were grinding it out, trying to, you know, wear us down. Um, and I just remember every time they brought the ball, Ben Stokes shouting, this is why no one comes to watch and things like that. And then all of a sudden they might, you know, dance down the track and the player shot. And you just think, well, that, it might have been three or four balls ago, but he's definitely ticking over in his mind thinking, actually, like, uh, maybe, maybe I'm being boring here. Or, you know, maybe <laughs> people are watching the same things about me. So, it is. It, you can plant seeds, but I think the best players in the world, it doesn't really bother them. Like you say, it's probably they're more thinking, well, actually, if they're bothered about me, it's taking them off their game. And I certainly know someone like a, like a Ben Stokes, who's obviously a superstar in our game. He actually enjoys that. The, the, someone having a go at him brings him into the battle more, focuses him more, and, and, and then that way he, he tends to do better. So sometimes he might even just pick a fight with somebody just to 
just to get himself going. What's it like playing with him when he has like a headingly moment or whatever? When you when you, when you see that happen, when he just sort of I don't know looks invincible and totally changes the face of a game. I mean, you know him very well. <laughs> the, my first answer was going to be it's, it's normal, which is so weird <laughs> to say, but he, he does stuff like that. Like he's just a phenomenal player, one that um, I think out of probably all the team mates that we've got, he, he's the one that can change game throughout anything that he does. I know he's not bowling at the minute, but with ball, bat or in the field, he was the one guy who could could certainly make the biggest impact if, if things needed to change. Um, and he's someone that, if let's say the opposition need three runs to win and they've still got five wickets in hand, it looks like it's dead and buried. He will never, ever, ever give up. He still believes he can do it. He has this sort of inner strength that he gives to everybody else. Um, very caring guy. Although he promotes this big alpha nature, he's very caring behind behind the scenes. And um, so that if you're in the trenches or things are tough, he'd be the first one that literally everybody would pick to, to have next to him. And like you say, he does these special moments. Uh, and, you know, if it, if it was me, one of those moments might define my career. He's had about five or six. <laughs> so, like, it's just um, crazy to think that he, he has that sort of level of impact on the game. And have you got, um, on, on you, you personally, away from the cricket, are there other sporting loves? Is football a big love or, or do you just love sport all, all round? Or? Yeah, but, uh, football, I, I love watching international rugby. Um, tennis, I would watch tennis if it was on the, t- on the television. Um, I've never been to Wimbledon, but, you know, I love watching on the telly. I think all sports, I'd, like I mentioned, I tried as a kid, and I, I would watch anything. You know, when the Olympics are, and I would watch the Olympics. I, everything that I would sport and wise. When I was growing up, I wanted to just get outside, bat, ball, anything I could find. I, I just wanted to pick up and play. So, um, huge interest in, in, in most things, and and I think, I mean, surprisingly, the most people on my football team is Wimbledon, AFC Wimbledon. Um, being a, a lad that just lives north of Newcastle, all my family are Newcastle fans. My best mate is a Sunderland fan, so I'm spoiled for choice really in the northeast. But yeah, a bit of a tale. I've got no connection to Wimbledon in my family whatsoever. But as a kid, I had a sticker book. My favourite colour was blue, and then that was the team I picked. Uh, I thought one of them looked like my dad, and that, and the rest <laughs> is history. <laughs> well, I, I assumed you were a Newcastle fan. Sorry, Chris. Yeah, no, I was going to say, I remember Wimbledon. When was the Vinnie Jones team? What you, that's sort of like late yeah, 80s, 90s, early nineties. Yeah, late eighties he started, but ninety. Uh, Mid nineties was the team that I picked up on when Billy Jones was in the crazy gang. Yeah, that was that was and, the team. And they that made I, it through all the way through from non league, didn't they, into into the, the Premier League or what was what is the Premier League now equivalent? That's right, yeah. Yeah, that's Incredible right. I've, story. I've been, I mean I got I went to, after we won the Ashes in twenty fifteen, I got uh, taken to Wimbledon as a guest, which was lovely. Um they they played a team and before the game there was the, the guy had said to me, Oh, we're gonna get you on the field. Um, if you just wait for the fans and, and then walk off, I was like, right, no problem. This, this is great. I got my scarf on and feeling like, right, sort of Wimbledon knee. And uh, I get on the field and uh, the guy says, oh, Mark Wood, got anything to say to the fans, Mark? And just handed the mic and I was like, whoa. Uh, <laughs> like, absolutely side pass here. But um, yeah, hospital pass. But anyway, great. I've only been there a couple of times. I went to Selhurst Park when Tottenham beat Wimbledon, I think, 5-1. Klinsman scored four. Oof. And that was my first ever game to to Wimbledon. I used to go to all the games in the north, which was great because there was only about 100 Wimbledon fans would turn up so you could sit anywhere you wanted. And yeah, amazing that I still follow them loosely now, maybe not as much. I mean, I've been to 
watch a couple of Newcastle and Sunderland games because they're they're close. It's quite difficult for me to get to Wimbledon. Um, so yeah, I'm spoiled for choice really in the northeast with with no sort of ties. I remember I was a I was a Hearts fan. I kind of I'm, I'm a Hearts fan, but I very loosely term myself as that. I don't really follow football much, but as a kid, I was a big Hearts fan. Anyway, after I think it was after Athens Olympics, I got invited down to Tyne Castle to to one of, one of the games there, and they said, "Can you put on your Team GB tracksuit and your medal, and, and you know we'll come out on the pitch at halftime and similar thing to yourself, say hello to the crowd, yeah. whatever." And uh, walked down the pitch, and the, all the guys said was, uh, "Hi, Chris, welcome. Why have you turned up in a Rangers top?" And the whole <laughs> the whole place went absolutely wild, like genuinely cheering and whistling, and I. I didn't even give me a chance to get the microphone. It's, like, oh, it's actually my team kit, and you know, please stop shouting abuse at me. I so so walk back, waving to the crowd as they <laughs> gave me gestures and said nasty things. So I was like, yeah, Aww. thanks, thanks very much. That was fun. Yeah, mm. good brutal. times. Yeah. And what about with Wimbledon though? Because they've had a quite a sort of tough time, and then come through the other side. I think they're now run and owned by fans, aren't they entirely? I can't yeah, 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 yeah. So the the so there was a split that the team has moved from. Um, Sellers Park um, to to become Milton Keynes Dons, who are now, and that was sort of a big, that was like very contentious, I guess, and and emotional for the, the big set of fans or the Wimbledon fan base. So then um, they started their own club from you know right down in the lowest league you could, and in London made their way through the leagues, and um, they, they managed to get the highs of League One. They're now in League Two, and they're doing okay this year, about seventh or eighth, I think. So. Yeah, I keep an eye on the scores every now and again and, you know, following them on Instagram and things like that to see how they're getting on. Um, but like, a bit like Chris, I'm not, I'm not a, a blind fan like I was mm-hmm. when I was younger. Like, well, I used to, you know, watch Wimbledon's games every weekend when I was a kid. But now I sort of just keep an eye on the scores and, and see how they're getting on. But a bit harder to follow. But yeah, it's great that the, in a nice way that the fans have brought the club back. Like, I think that's a, a lovely story. And, um, it's it. When I went down there, they, they, they treat the club a bit like a, like a family. Like even the, you know, the chairmans, the directors, the the very accommodating all the fan base to do things before the game with everybody and all the fans and stuff. So lovely atmosphere um, at that club. Is there a sport you can't tolerate that you maybe don't say track cycling? <laughs> no, no, uh, no. I actually love the Olympics. I love the Olympics. Um, I'm trying to think of if there's anything I, I, I really don't. The, the one sport I can't really get a grip on, and, and honestly, I can't, is uh, golf. I, I, I like watching the Ryder Cup from from a team element side, but all of the cricketers play golf, and I'm I'm one of the only ones that that doesn't go out and play. Um, I. I kind of get the frustration of how you can hit a brilliant shot, one shot, and then the next one be absolutely horrific. And that just boils me to the point where I kind of, I kind of deal with it. So, yeah, got, golf is probably the one what, what, which I watch. I can appreciate the skill, um, but I, I wouldn't watch it on, on, on Sky Sports unless, unless say, the, the Ryder Cup was on. But it's, it's big in the, in the cricket dressing room. Yeah, a lot of the cricketers are really good golfers, aren't they? And, and kind of vice versa as well. Mm, yeah, and I think we have a couple. I mean, Zach Crawley, who opens the bat in the test matches, he's off, I think, scratch just about. Um, and they, they all, I mean, the amount of the player, they should be good. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's sort of similar. I guess bats, batting and the golf club motion is, is quite similar in some ways. So maybe that sort of helps, but um, I just kind of get away with it. So what happens when everyone buggers off to play golf and you're on tour? Do you have 
a non-golfing buddy to do something else with. Or... Uh, yeah, Jack Leach, he doesn't, he doesn't play golf. So he, he's someone that I would hang around with. Um, the other big thing on tour is coffee club. And coincidentally, I don't drink coffee either, but um, <laughs> I will turn up the coffee club and have a cup of tea or something like that. Um, but the the end thing is these chic um, coffee places. And I remember we were in Pakistan. It got to the point where we brought our own coffee machine on tour. All the lands have to bring their beans. And they put a projector screen up of an Amsterdam cafe to pretend they're in Amsterdam and not in Pakistan. <laughs> I have to admit, I'm a I'm a bit of a coffee wanker myself. These lads will search the best shop in the whole, no yeah. matter where we tour. That's the, the con- I was like, can we just pop into this one? It's like literally two minutes up. No, we're not going to that one. We've got to go to this one. It's five miles away. I was like, all right, okay. But that's why I'm like, I've got an app that, you know, you, wherever you are in the world, you can find out the, the best cafe near you. They've got that as well. That's yeah, it. it's that honestly, app, yeah. it's you, 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 you fall into it quite easily and quite quickly. And it's, it's, yeah, it's kind of sad, really. But I am into my coffee. And it was, it was a big part of in the cycling world as well, because we weren't, we weren't drinking alcohol through the main season. So the cafes become your kind of social hub. And you'd often yeah. meet, you know, in the early days, you'd meet at a cafe before you go out for your road ride and you'd have your quick coffee before you get out. And it's, yeah, I guess it's like anything, the more you get into it, the more you, you understand it or appreciate it and enjoy it. But yeah, I can see from the outside, it can be, it is a bit like, oh, for goodness sake, it's just a cup of coffee. What's all the fuss about? Yeah, but that, it's a social, it is the social element though, isn't it? That's 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 the main thing. I mean, I'd come for a cup of tea. I, I mean, I'd jump in the Costa or Starbucks. And if, if the lads ever heard me saying that, that'd be uproar. So um, <laughs> it, it, I think it's the fact that they like to find somewhere new, with somewhere new to try and, a social sort of element of it and um yeah that's that's probably <laughs> but when i said was there anything that went wrong in the world cup that was probably the one thing is that some of the lads weren't cleaning the coffee machine right the beans weren't as good from one person to the next <laughs> that was the only thing that anyone ever fell out about um but yeah um i'm trying to think of that's what else i would do with any um what else we, we, like i mentioned we do quiz nights i'm one of the quiz masters and generally i like to try and get it so for example Dharmashala, which was the, in the north of India. It's in the mountains. Beautiful. Um, we went to like a um, like a rock pool, like a glacier rock pool for like an ice dip. That was beautiful. So if I'm on tour, I'll try and find little things to do and and, and try and keep myself busy rather than just um, sit in my hotel room and stew. It's not really me. I'm, I've got to be around people. It can get quite depressing, can't it? You're just stuck within four walls of a hotel room. So the thing is, though, some lads love that. Some lads will bunker in with, you know, Netflix or um, Prime or whatever they've got on their, on their iPads or laptops or whatever and watch shows and they binge watch stuff. That's just not me. I just kind of sit by myself. I've got, like, Anthony Pants. I've got to get out. I've got to see things. I've got to do things and be amongst people. And I'm sure they'll say about half an hour with me is enough. But um, <laughs> I've got I've got to do something. I kind of just sit in my, sit in my room. Brilliant. Well, thanks very much for joining us. It's been really nice to talk. You're our first uh, non-comedian. So we've started with comedians, but we're branching out for season two. But we've, uh, you're, you're as funny. You've had Miles on, haven't you? Yes. Oh, yeah. He's great. Yeah. So he's a, he's a guy doing my podcast. He's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Very, very different to me, like, but uh, he's a great guy. I love on the podcast, I was just saying to, to Chris beforehand how you just seem to make him laugh and then he's just giggling in the background, which sets me off if I hear Miles' yeah. laugh. Is, he's it's got like a cackly cool. laugh, hasn't yeah. he? Yeah. It's one of my favourite things about podcasts or comedy podcasts. I just like, I like listening to people laughing, which is, it sounds yeah. really simple, but it, it sets you off yourself. And yeah, Chanabix yeah. is another one that we, both Matt and I are big fans of, that David Earl's laugh and Joe, Joe Wilkinson's laugh. Um, yeah, that's great. Yeah. 
it can brighten up it's your good day. for the soul in it like yeah. when, when you hear people laugh it's good absolutely but yeah listen thank you so much for joining us it's been a pleasure listening to you and uh, yeah it's uh, yeah wish you all the best your podcast and the rest of your season and you never know I might I might tune in to watch a bit more cricket now <laughs> you've, like you've, you've yeah. sold it to me <laughs> See you, mate. thanks very thanks, much Cheers, take, mate. Care. Bye. take bye. care bye planning for your next trip Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.